But this whole, this whole morning, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, this, this idea of, of the cross and in the different uh, passages we read. And we're going to be reading another passage about covenant. Last week, we read a passage about Noah and the covenant that God made to Noah. This week, we're going to be reading about this uh, covenant with Abraham, who is another, another key uh, central character in in the Genesis narrative, and so um, we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about that today, and it's a pretty relevant one for the season of Lent. You know, this this entire season of Lent, we're talking about this idea of what it looks like for us to journey with Jesus to the cross. Um, Lent ends with this Good Friday, this this cross event, and so and so that's where we're headed. That's what we will be talking about today. So. Um, with those things in mind, we will uh, begin with prayer together. Um, Levi will have the uh, words of the prayer behind me on the screen. Thanks, Levi, for doing slides today. Um, I will read what's uh, in white, and then together we'll read what's in yellow, talking about covenant, talking about cross once again, and then I'll read from Psalm 22, and then we will um, engage with some songs together. So, Let's pray together. God of the covenant, in the glory of the cross, your son embraced the power of death and broke its hold over your people. In this time of repentance, draw all people to yourself, that we who confess Jesus as Lord may put aside the deeds of death, and accept the life of your kingdom. Amen. Psalm 22, starting at verse 23. You who fear, you who honor the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere the Lord, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord. He and he alone rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him, future generations will be told about the Lord, and they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn that he has done it. It's this weird season of Lent where we try to figure out what it looks like to worship, right? (laughs) What What does it even mean to praise the Lord 
in this season where we're talking about suffering, where we're talking about fasting, and um, we're actually going to be doing a new song today that, that Ty will tell you a little bit about, but it's this song that really just meets us in that weird place of Lent, talking about suffering, but talking about worship as well. So uh, Ty and uh, Tom are going to lead us in a few songs. If I could pray for us before we engage with that music, and then we'll uh, go on from there. Lord, be with us now um, as, as we gather here in your name, in, in the midst of your presence. Um, would these songs, would their words, would their themes um, bring about the things that you would like us to hear this morning? Uh, that we'd be able to see you at work, that we would be able to see your love um, in the world around us and, of course, in our lives as well. Lord, we trust you with this time. Be with us, still our hearts, allow us to focus our minds on you. In Jesus' name, amen. This covenant with Abraham can be found in Genesis chapter 17. You know, when we read about these covenants, we read about descendants. We read about how the generations after you, Noah, after you, Abraham, they're going to be blessed. We are in that group. Of, of descendants. And it's especially this covenant of Abraham, this ministry of Abraham, where, where God says that I'm going to bless not only you, but I'm going to bless you. Um, I'm going to bless others through you. And this blessing is just going to go from generation to generation and in all corners of the earth. And, and we get swept up in that. And you know what? Yeah, it's been thousands of years, right? But Humanity kept going, and, and here we are, getting still swept up in these promises from God, these, these covenants. So Genesis 17, I'll read the first eight verses just to give us a picture of, of this covenant with Abraham. Um, of course, we pick up in the story where Abraham at this point is still being called Abram. His name changes were in this passage that, that we're reading. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful, and I will make nations from you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. We'll go ahead and stop there, but... Once again, we, we read another promise, we read another covenant. Now, the season of Lent, ending with Good Friday, ending with Easter, 
of course, gives us the ultimate covenant, right? The ultimate promise made from God to people. But even as we work up to that time, we still consider other covenants that God has made with the people of God. We read Noah last week, we read Abraham this week, and and it really is beautiful for us to see these things. And so, in just a moment, we're going to have our time of prayer and um, we're going to lift up the prayers and petitions that, that we have as, as a church, as a church family, um, where we'll take the time to um, have some time of, of prayer just with you and um, just at, at your seats, but then there's going to be this moment where um, I will list off some very short phrases, and then we'll actually say together... Lord, hear our prayer, um, because we want to be sure that we can not only lift up the general prayers of our neighborhoods, our region, our country, and our world, but we can also lift up prayers that are specific to the congregation as well. And so you might have noticed I just grabbed this piece of paper from the altar. This piece of paper will be down here with a pen every single morning, and it's just an opportunity for for you to write down um, anything that is specifically on your heart that you would like voiced during this prayers of the people time. You don't have to include your name, although you could if you would like. Um, And uh, we will be sure that we can, as a church family, voice those prayers, not only, not even really on your behalf, but with you, right? Writing down the prayers that are on your heart, we want to come alongside of you in prayer as well. So let's, let's pivot towards this moment of prayer, and I will read a very short prayer to introduce us into this time, and then um, I'll be still, giving us a moment to um, just pray what's on our hearts, and then we'll uh, go through some, some corporate prayer. God of the covenant... You call us to be fruitful servants within creation and to offer our lives as the foundation of your realm. We lay before you the desires of our hearts so that we may be transformed by their fulfillment. Let's take some time to pray together. Lord, we ask that you would draw near to those who are working in healthcare and and education and other fields that are being particularly stretched during this pandemic. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with the orphans and the fatherless in their times of distress. Lord, hear our prayer. 
We ask that you would be with mothers who have had to make very hard choices for the betterment of their children's lives. Lord, hear our prayer. We ask, Lord, that fathers that have left a family will one day be found. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with our neighbors who are hungry, our neighbors who are thirsty, our neighbors without homes, our neighbors without clothing. Lord, hear our prayer. We ask that you would be with those members in our community who work on behalf of those people, serving them and caring for them and and walking with them. Lord, hear our prayer. Grant, O God, that the prayers we offer may be your channel for new and abundant life, not only hoped for, but worked for as well through our faithful words and our faithful deeds. Amen and amen. Thanks for praying. Um, Before I uh, read a passage from Mark and and share a few thoughts on it, I do want to ask if Megan... um, Megan has... um, If you haven't met Megan before, this is Megan. And um, and that's family over there. And uh, we love the Ron family. And um, Megan's going to share with you really quick just what she's been up to um, and even some things happening in the next week or two as well. Um, I'm just going to stop talking and let her share, but some exciting things. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> um, to make a long story short, um, so this, these things have been in the works since like August. Um, and so what these things are um, is actually these, how do I explain it, like these justice initiatives um, to help the education system, at least in my community of Tremont, Illinois. Tremont is a very rural community, um, and the people there are not so in touch or in tune with how to love people who are different than them or how to um, come alongside them in their distress. Um, And so education has been an outlet where We've been able to put together these plans um, to help culturally engage the community. We've also been able to um, help students, um, well, in the plans, the hope is to help students who are adopted, who are of color, um, to get them into these counseling and mentorship programs. Um, So that way they have people, safe people, that they're able to go to, um, as well as encouraging them. in this fight for justice. Um, And then the other thing is helping um, culturally engage the curriculum uh, in the schools. And so that's pretty much a little bit about what is happening, to make a very long story short. (laughs) Um, I will say that the way that God has worked in bringing people together to help these plans come to fruition is quite incredible. Um, It was ever since August, um, it has just been person after person after person that God has put um, in that space to just continue to help these plans move along. Um, And then in Proverbs 3, I think it's 327, it says, 
do not withhold good to whom uh, it is due when it is in your power to do it. Um, and that's why we do these things. We do these things um, because we have the power to do good. And we have the power to do good because we have the spirit inside of us. Um, and so that is why these things, that's, that's why this is so much on my heart. It isn't about politics. It isn't about Amer American ideals. It is the fact that our God is a God of justice. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's a little bit about what I'm doing. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and thanks for sharing. Um, just to be able to see how faith can, can become an action, right? And there really are so many ways in which our, our faith as Christians, our ideals as Christians, but then these are the things that God cares about. Um, if you were to read from the first page to the last page of the scriptures, the, one of the central themes, it's in like the top three, is this idea of justice. And from God's perspective, it's this idea of restorative justice. The word justice, depending on who you talk to, can carry a cer certain definition. What we're talking about is there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, man nor woman, and then you just fill in the blank on the this or the that. But they're all one. They are all restored to be made one in Christ. And so that's one example of many of how justice in a particular town, in a particular state, in a particular country, in the world, is able to come through, and it is able to weave its way into the conversation. And so, um, I know Megan has a community meeting coming up um, in Tremont for some of these things to be dialogued about, and so uh, be in prayer for Megan, but also be curious. Ask questions. Ask how things are going. Ask for updates. Um, because every single opportunity we have, it can be, it, it could be as, I think, quite large what she's actually doing, this idea of presenting school curriculum <laughs> to, to a district. Um, but it can, be, it can be writing a letter to your neighbor, right? My faith informs me to do this. The life of Jesus God's bend towards justice informs me to do this, so I want to do this. If there's ever a time we can celebrate those things, we want to be sure that we can do that in this place. So thanks, Megan, for sharing. Um, we're on your team, and we're, and we're on your side, and we want to encourage and, and support Megan however we can. Um, with those things in mind, a bit of a decent segue, actually, into the story that we're going to read here in the Gospel of Mark. I'll be in the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, if you want to follow along, starting at verse 27. It's a, it's a pretty familiar story, and in these verses, we actually have a couple of, if I could call them, mini-stories, so to speak. There's several stories within the story, starting at Mark chapter 8 verse 27. So I'll go ahead and, and read, these, read these verses here for us. 
Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Verse 31, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly and openly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but human concerns." Verse 34, then he called to the crowd that was among him and his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will surely lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And we will stop there. A lot going on, and I want to help us sort through it. Um, We've already talked about how this season of Lent is a journey with Jesus to the cross, and the same could be true even when we're not in the season of Lent. It's, it's important for us as the people of God to be on a journey with Jesus, going where Jesus would go, doing what Jesus would do. Now, these 12 verses for us this week, they really do hold some strong images of what it's like to journey with Jesus to the cross. It's, it's very plainly and clearly said by Jesus this idea of picking up our cross and following him. And so we should pay close dynamics, uh, close attention to the dynamics at play. And so really my thoughts today, I'm going to be sharing a couple of different what I call hand-in-hand passages, meaning uh, when we think of blank, it should go hand-in-hand with blank as a way to kind of make sense of all of the different dynamics at play. And there's maybe a half a dozen of them or so, maybe less. Uh, So this is the first one. Is our knowledge of who Jesus is must go hand in hand with our understanding of what Jesus does. Us knowing who Jesus is has to go hand in hand with our understanding of what Jesus does. In verse 29, Peter is accounted for intuitively knowing that Jesus is the Messiah. There's no question for Peter. Peter knows. No, I I know enough to know 
that you are the Messiah. But in verse 32, Peter tries to convince Jesus that he doesn't need to suffer. Peter knows that Jesus is the Messiah, but Peter has not yet learned that because Jesus is the Messiah, then this must be what Jesus has to do, which is suffer. When Peter goes to Jesus and says, you don't, you're the Messiah, but you don't have to suffer, Jesus calls him <laughs> Satan? <laughs> what? The accuser, the tempter, the one who does not have their mind on the concerns of God. For Jesus to be the Messiah, for Jesus to be our Messiah, Jesus says very clearly and plainly, it means that he needs to be rejected. It means that he needs to suffer. And if I was Peter, I'd, I'd have a hard time with that too, right? Here's the second one. Making sense of all the dynamics at play here. Our following Jesus goes hand in hand with our proximity to Jesus. Us following Jesus goes hand in hand with our proximity to Jesus. There is a professor of religion and, and there's an author. His name's Craig Hovey, and he writes a book called To Share in the Body. It's about the church, modern church today, taking on this identity of martyrdom. It's a really downer of a book, <laughs> believe me. But this is the question that Craig Hovey asks in plenty of different ways throughout the entirety of the book. If at any given time Jesus would to look over his shoulder, would you be following close enough for him to see you behind him. That's a tough one. If Jesus were going about Jesus' life, going where Jesus goes, doing what Jesus does, and, and even for a moment at any given time were to glance over his shoulder, would we be following close enough for Jesus to see us? In verse 34, Jesus says that anyone who wants to be his disciple must follow. And we can only be known as a follower if we are in the places where he would be, with the people he would be with, doing what he would be doing while there. And as Hovey gives us this image of, and close enough to the action where if Jesus were to turn around, Jesus would see us. Our following Jesus goes hand in hand with our proximity to Jesus. The third one to help us make sense of this passage is our ability to follow Jesus goes hand in hand with our capacity to deny ourselves. Our ability to follow Jesus goes hand in hand with our capacity to deny ourselves. We're going to stick with verse 34. 
Jesus identifies the act of self-denial when Jesus says, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So Jesus identifies this act of self-denial as a prerequisite for being a disciple of Jesus. We can use a very simple strain of logic here. You can't be a disciple if you can't deny your own selves. What does it look like to deny yourselves? Well, it's to be concerned with the concerns of God. It's vetting our instincts and our knee-jerk reactions through the lens of Jesus. I'm not saying that every time our knee-jerk reaction is not what Jesus would do. In fact, the hope and the goal and the beauty is that is that Jesus continues to transform us. We continue to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, and, and all of a sudden, one day, our knee-jerk reactions become more like what Jesus would instinctively do. Self-denial means that we lead always with humility, that we lead always with love, that we lead always with forgiveness. Jesus says we can't follow him if we can't learn to do those things. Because those are the things that Jesus does. If, if you know, considering this image of walking along with Jesus, if, if we were to be in a crowd of people behind Jesus, and Jesus was doing one thing, like maybe forgiving or loving or humbling himself, and we were in the crowd, we were following but we were maybe doing the opposite. <laughs> maybe we were holding grudges over people and letting them, uh, reminding them that I have a grudge over you, or if we were doing the opposite of love, or if we were doing the opposite of humility, that we, would not be follow- we wouldn't be labeled a Jesus follower in that moment. This is the fourth and final one. The cross that we are to bear, Jesus says, carry your cross, follow me. The cross that we are to bear goes hand in hand with the cross that Jesus bore. When we are talking about here in verse 34, Jesus says, pick up your cross. When we hear that, we have to think about Jesus' cross. This idea of cross holds an image in the New Testament. Once again, taking up your cross along with self-denial is this prerequisite for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So what was the cross that Jesus bore? Well, it was a cross of suffering for others. It was a nonviolent reaction to false accusations and lies that were associated with him. It was a cross that established the logic and patterns of the kingdom of God here on earth among people. Craig Hovey, the author of that Downer book I mentioned, suggests that we wrongfully put the emphasis on your rather than on the word cross. Once again, Jesus saying, pick up your cross, follow me. Hovey would say that we normally read that and hear the word loudest, your, 
rather than the word cross. Hubby clarifies that Jesus is still close to those who suffer in the random moments of life. But not every moment of suffering that we experience is to be viewed as cross-carrying. Every time we're carrying our cross, we're probably going to suffer, but the opposite isn't always true. Just because we're suffering doesn't mean we're carrying a cross necessarily. It's possible to suffer and be very far away from Jesus. <laughs> it, it, is, it is possible to experience suffering and actually not be carrying the cross that Jesus carried. We are carrying our crosses as Jesus would have us when we share in the responsibilities of reconciliation. That's why Hovey titles the book that he titles it, To Share in the Body. To pick up your cross and follow Jesus is to share in the responsibilities of seeing all of creation reconciled back to the care of the king in that king's kingdom. And of course, we're talking about God. So, in the midst of this heavy, somewhat disheartening reality, that might take the wind out of your sails, I still want to highlight a piece of good news. If you're following Jesus, then you're close to Jesus, <laughs> right? It's good. <laughs> now, following Jesus mean you're bearing a cross of suffering? Well, yeah. uh, it seems that way. <laughs> But if you're following Jesus, you're at least close to Jesus. And that's really, really good news. When we're at the end of our rope in that relationship that seems totally dependent on your forgiveness, when we are physically tired from the physical acts of service that we have done for others, when we are convinced of what jobs we should hold and what our expenses should be and what we should be giving towards, uh, giving away to others and towards other things, but the numbers still don't add up. When we are actually and literally being accused of things that we have never done. When other Christians look down on you for doing things that you are absolutely sure that we are supposed to do for the sake of the kingdom of God. We can look up in our distress and you can find Jesus directly next to you. And at the end of the day, that's where I want to be, <laughs> right? And there might be some really crummy things going on that would make it seem like as though the God of peace, the God of love, the God of healing, the God of restoration 
isn't near me, but in fact, the season of Lent teaches us. Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, just taught us that if we are actually following Jesus, we would be close enough to Jesus, being in the places where Jesus is, doing the things that Jesus would do, among the people that Jesus would be doing them among, and even in our distress in those moments, Jesus is right there. I mean, right there. Jesus is self-denying. Jesus is self-sacrificing. Jesus is a self-giving Messiah, and Peter hated that. <laughs> and I think that sometimes we would rather Jesus be different too, because I think ingrained in us is an understanding we are convinced that we are to be like Jesus. I think we're mostly convinced of that. This is what we mean by ideas like consecration and sanctification and discipleship, is the goal here is that we are to be more like Jesus. So I think we know that at our core, but oftentimes, like Peter, I think we either consciously or subconsciously say, Jesus, I know I'm supposed to be like you, so could you stop doing the things I don't want to do? <laughs> I know I'm supposed to be like you, so could you please stop doing what seems so impossible for me to do right now? Here's the thing, though. If, if Jesus isn't exactly who Jesus is, um, then we might not have a lot of good news to talk about. So that's the catch-22, isn't it? That, that Jesus is exactly who Jesus is. Praise the Lord. Oh, man, but we're supposed to be like him. It's up to us then to follow, right? It, it's up to us then to follow in such a way to where we are close enough to be seen by Jesus in the places Jesus is doing what Jesus does.